Back at it again, round five, the Bearcat Bounce podcast, the BBP. Brent Young, Aaron Smith. Aaron, how are we? I mean, coming at you from Massachusetts, so uh, no days off, right? <laughs> no days off. You are in Massachusetts getting ready to move your sister You're to right. one of the pinnacles, Indianapolis, my hometown. So uh, I will welcome her with open arms, maybe meet you out for a nice pop or two. Right, and uh, see what see what goes from there. Maybe maybe we record one of the podcasts in person. Get a little face to face. I don't know if I don't know if the world's ready for that. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> it's going to be a whole different level if that happens. But <laughs> speaking of in person, there was nobody in person down at Tulsa this past weekend. Obviously, word is spread up to this point. And if you don't know what that the game this past weekend was postponed then you live under a rock much like Luke Bickle does when it comes to social media but Aaron I gotta ask your initial thoughts the second that you saw the game was postponed obviously you're disappointed you know you, you prep for as as writers we prep for what's coming this week especially on a, on a game week um, coming off the bye you know I was excited to see uh, what was going to happen. I mean, it was a big game for Cincinnati, especially uh, with the way that they, with the way that Tulsa had been playing uh, with the worries that we had with our offense. So it was supposed to be a big game, you know, and even on Twitter, you saw a lot of players responding to uh, some of, some of Tulsa's jabs at, uh, I think the the one that I saw the most of was uh, that we weren't ready for the smoke. Yeah. Allie Green, the fourth, the uh, cornerback for Tulsa. And I quote, I'm starting to think teams ducking smoke. So, you know, I mean, I was excited to see, and especially I, I think that tweet alone amps up when we do actually play later on in the season now. Right. But it uh, not necessarily a needed buy, especially coming off of a buy. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's 2020, it's COVID, and you got to do what you got to do. I mean, as we've seen, obviously, throughout all of college football, NFL, uh, MLB, NBA did it right with the bubble, but you just can't do that with all other sports for the most part. You know, it's it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Your team's right. going to have to face some sort of adversity, whether it's an opposing team having to postpone or whether it's your team and it just so happened to, to really hit Cincinnati. But it's no reason for that to cause harm to the entire big picture still ranked in the top 10 with a new AP poll and coaches poll coming out. They did slide back one in the AP to number nine. They got hopped by a Penn State team that did a really good job playing in their game this past weekend, right? But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so so it's, it's still a situation where you've – the main thing for me coming out of that was you're back in the top 10. I – the opportunity to go up against Tulsa at Tulsa that was starting to gain a lot of steam that a lot of people were actually starting to say, Tulsa might have a slight edge. Why is the spread, you know, three and a half, three, where it was, you know, you win that game and you win that game soundly, then everyone in the country is talking a little bit more about you heading into the big 10 play this upcoming weekend. Now it's the big 10's back. Alabama is great. Tulsa is phenomenal. Not not Tulsa Clemson is phenomenal, <laughs> and now all of a sudden it's it's Cincinnati somewhat in, of an afterthought going into a, a mammoth game at SMU. You're not wrong. I mean, it's 
There was a lot of, uh, of moving parts here this, this week. You know, North Carolina taking the L. Uh, you had uh, Georgia also taking an L. And yet Cincinnati slid a spot. So, you know, kind of to your point, we are an afterthought. You know, we should have already had, I would think anyway, the, the votes necessary to at least keep that eight spot, even in a week where you have COVID. And now with no action, there's no movement. Matter of fact, it was movement the wrong direction. So, you know, some of the pieces that we needed to happen to fall to try and make that jump up, they didn't right. happen. But, you know, on the other side of that, with not playing, you know, it, it didn't really help us at all. And, and another thing that kind of starts to scare me, and, and obviously this is something that was forecasted, heading into the season, you've got teams like a Texas A&M and Georgia, both with one loss, both ranked higher than an undefeated Cincinnati and, and multiple other teams. But, you know, that's, that's going to be a situation that probably figures itself out as the SEC continues to beat each other up and Alabama stays on top. But like you mentioned, it's it's really a chance where now you have to have your first road game at SMU. And, you know, a team in SMU that just had a, a win against Tulane, undefeated, that win against Memphis earlier in the season is looking a lot bigger and a lot stronger than it was even thought of at first. It's This is a very difficult situation to be in now having to travel to SMU two weeks off the whole rest versus rust situation, you know, it's it's going to be a tough thing to see how they're going to be able to come out and, and go up against an SMU team where, you know, I'm sure you watched some of the Tulane game on Friday night. SMU is looking just as good as the other teams at the top of this conference. I mean, it took overtime, so that there is something to be said for that. Uh, t- Tulane was able to put up 34 points on SMU they were hosting. So Tulane was hosting. So maybe that's why, as I said, it did take overtime. Um, You know, SMU still doing what they have to do to win though. And at the end of the day, you have to play your schedule. I've said that before. And, you know, you have to win the games that you're supposed to win now, kind of to your point. And I know we'll get to this later on when we talk Bearcats best bets, right? Cincinnati's opening only as a one point favorite right now, as I see it. Yeah. Uh, That's, there, I mean, what do you say to that? You got, I, I know it's 16 versus nine, but you got a team in the top 10 and they're only getting one point of love. So to me, if we lose this game to SMU, there's no way we're in the top 25 come next week, especially with Big Ten play starting back up. So you have to win this game. It's a, it literally is a must win already. You're playing for the, the New Year's Eve six bowl every week. Yeah. And, you know, I think a big situation that to, to also look at is the fact that, you know, uh, a Memphis loses to SMU and then you, Central Florida loses to Tulsa. Both of those teams completely fall out of the rankings. Mm-hmm. Is it a situation where obviously SMU is ranked high? And I'm sure maybe if, if they were to beat Cincinnati this upcoming weekend, it might be one of those flip-flop scenarios where Cincinnati all, all of a sudden is in the, the 20s and then SMU moves up closer to the top 10, but you know, it's, it's all about style points right now. And you're not going to be able to put up any style points if you don't even play a football game. And so the, the main D factor in the whole entire postponing is, you know, Al Green saying that we're ducking smoke. Well, no, right now is the time that you're supposed to light up that smoke. You're supposed to have 
all of this smoke surrounding you. Velvet smoke if you're Chad Brendel. Very tasty sandwich on his birthday yesterday. But you need that smoke around your team, especially during big play, Big Ten play starting up and things of that sort. And they just didn't get it, obviously, with the postponement. Hopefully, at SMU, it's going to be a little bit different. And as somebody who's taken in as much Cincinnati as I could this year already, I mean, you already had the question mark of what's this offense going to look like. And with another week off, that question mark only gets bigger. So we're still left with can the offense keep up with a Memphis, with a UCF? And that Mm -hmm. game was crazy, 1,500 yards of offense. I don't don't know what we would do in such a situation. But it's hard to think right now as as a fan, I don't know that Cincinnati could keep up with an offense like that. You just have to hope that the defense pins its ears back and get the, get the job done really. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to argue, you know, slipping when we ourselves as people who cover the team have question marks, a, a big, big question marks about this offense. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the 1500 total yards of offense for, you know, combined in that, in that Memphis UCF game. Take a wild guess. Total yardage that the Bearcats have through three games against three pretty bad opponents. I'd guess it's roughly about 1,500 yards, coincidentally. 1188 in three games against some of the worst defenses. Army's defense is pretty solid, but, you know, you're talking an FCS school. And then, of course, South Florida, who's pretty, pretty poor themselves. But you mentioned it you're going to have to be able to score points if you want to win football games in the AAC. I mean, you look at these scores, 37, 34, 49, 37, 50 to 49. That is some high scoring games. And that's, that's a big time where you not only can you have this stout defense, but a defense is not going to be able to just completely shut down some of the offenses that are in the AAC. And it's, it's really going to lead to, what can now the offense do if you get down by 14 points or if you all of a sudden you find yourself in a back and forth where your defense is doing everything they can but still giving up some touchdowns because if you look at today's game, that's what it is. It's very offense-driven. Yes, defense is a huge factor as well, but especially in the AAC, it seems like offense is kind of king. Yeah, and I mean I can't bring up to, to that point – can't bring up the UCF Memphis thing enough, especially since we have both of those teams looming in the not so distant future. So I, it's, it's scary for me until I see this team put up. I mean, if we had put up, you know, 70, 72 against awesome P I don't know that I'm necessarily having the same worries that I have, but we yeah. didn't, but we didn't. So it's, it's scary for me to think that, you know, to your point, if UCF, if a Memphis, if an SMU, uh, if a Houston, starts putting up points on us, are we going to be able to, much in the same way as when Army was down 14 and was forced to throw the ball, are we going to be able to keep up? Yeah, you know, you talk about 55 against Austin Peay, sure, somewhat expected. But then 24 against Army, 28 against USF. You know, you look at a Temple team who, if you watch that Temple-USF game this past weekend, you know, it – Sure, they, they ended up scoring 39 points and winning 39-37 over South Florida. But Temple showed that you can, you can move the football and you can score with relative ease against this South Florida team. And Cincinnati did that for a lot of that game. 
two weeks ago. Sadly, that was the last game they played. Sadly, we don't have anything else on tape since then. We just have a lot of question marks and unknown and, and 2020-isms all around the team. But what we can tell up to this point, it seems like the situation has been controlled as far as over the weekend, no more tests this way or the other. But it, it just seems like the team needs to pull together. I don't know if there's some sort of a – maybe that, that tweet that Allie Green sent out, maybe that's something that's going to pull, pull the team together. Because it seemed like he sent that out, and you had a lot of angry feisty Bearcats replying, you know, James Hudson quickly, Derek Forrest, you know, the leaders of the team really quickly being like, all right, yep, you, you say that. We see the disrespect. Maybe it's just that added chip on the shoulder that this team might have lacked a little bit. Now maybe it's back because teams are starting to say, wow, they don't really respect us too much, and we, we think we deserve a little bit more respect. Well, and I can only imagine that there's probably going to be plenty more, especially in a world of social media, that there's going to be plenty more bulletin board material, especially with games coming up against a UCF who's not afraid to talk, even with two losses uh, right. against Memphis, who they had our number two games in a row last year. So, you know, I would, I would think that there's going to be more quote unquote smoke coming from social media um, with some of these upcoming games. Yeah. And, and I mean, Tulsa football even put out a tweet uh, with writing Cincy on December 5th and circling it about 10 different times. So all of a sudden, what was this a Cincinnati at Tulsa kind of a, you know, Tulsa, the smallest school in the FBS Kind of the funnest fact about Tulsa is, is that. And then aside from that, now all of a sudden this game has a little bit of, of hype around it. But that also throws in an interesting situation because kind of the scheduling didn't really allow for any any slip-ups quite like this. They, they put it all just at the end of the season. So now that Cincinnati, you look at the schedule that they have coming up, they have that one road game at SMU. Come back home for three in a row and then out on the road for three straight weeks. I mean, that's just – that's crazy. That is crazy scheduling. Obviously, it was not what was planned. But with 2020, with, with the adjustments that needed to be made, you're looking at a tough finish at UCF, at Temple, and then at Tulsa. That's just – those are three away games, three tougher places to go and play a football game. I, I don't know. It just throws a wrench into the whole entire scheme. Well, and you bring up the fact that we're throwing these games on to the end of the season – the thing that's crazy to think about is the fact that you have a Pac-12 playing, I believe, a seven-game schedule, a Big Ten playing eight-game schedule, and there's no room at the end of the season to tack on extra games. So I know we brought it up a couple of weeks ago, but I feel like it's worth bringing up again. You potentially could have an Ohio State team, if there's an outbreak, coming in with, you know, five wins, and that's it. Right. <laughs> like, this, this season's out of control crazy. I think it's going to continue to get crazier as you start to see some of these states having, uh, you know, their COVID numbers going up. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we're getting ready to enter the flu season. I'm scared, to be completely <laughs> honest. I'm scared of what this college football season might finish. I hope it finishes. Yeah. Um, I think that's still a conversation to be had for another day. But I don't know. I mean, it's it, 2020. What do you say? 2020. Unknown. I, I mean, you look left and right. There are just so like, so the second that that story came out out about, you know, 
the Cincinnati Tulsa game moving back. All of a sudden, you know, within the, the next 24 hours, you're you're getting word that the the Bengals game might also be postponed or or canceled due to tests that it for the Colts. And all of a sudden, things get tossed around. Oh, they're they're false negatives or false positive. That you know, the, the whole entire thing. Just so much unknown going into this entire season. I mean, the same thing happened with Nick Saban. You know, you had Nick Saban who had a false positive himself and then he was not expected to coach or he was going to try and coach from a tablet and was told he wasn't allowed to do that. And then all of a sudden he's got two positive or two negative tests and was allowed to coach, which I don't know. I think that all of that was kind of crazy the way that that all got rushed through, but you have the same thing going on at ECU with ECU's quarterback, um, Ehlers, and he was not allowed to to play. So <laughs> you had his brother, uh, Holton Ehlers. His, his brother was tweeting out, I, I believe he was tweeting, during the game uh, that his, his, his brother, the quarterback, was not allowed to play, but it was a false negative as well, or false positive as well. So what do you do with that? Why is, the, why is this quarterback – is it because it's ECU and not Alabama? Um, is it because he's a player and not Nick Saban? I don't know what the answer is. I don't understand how one conference has it one way with the, their COVID rules, but Nick Saban apparently has his own rules. So again, 2020, things are crazy. I know we're all adjusting on the fly, but what do you do with that? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you bring up very good points because obviously the rules are in place. If a player, you know, contact tracing, it's you know, 14 days. If, after a positive test, 10 days, I, you know, Nick Saban, it, that comes out, all of a sudden he's coaching, what, three or four days later. It's uh, the, the whole thing. It's, it's a thing where there's a lot of questions and no one has the answers. You know, I've said that numerous times during this whole big shebang. The, the, no one truly knows the answers. So it's all guesswork. It's all checking your work, you know, make sure two plus two still equals four, everything of that. But, Sometimes when, when two plus two all of a sudden is equal in five and people are saying, yeah, it equals five, who knows? It's, there's no true answer to any of it, but still, it is what it is. Aaron, I got a question. How, how's your golf game? I haven't I, – I messed up my shoulder a couple of years ago, and I haven't been out on the links since um, I broke my collarbone. Uh, wow. That said, um, my clubs are I'm, – I'm definitely going to try and get out there still this season. Um, especially since you can actually do that on a nice sunny day and not right. be in a cart with somebody. So you can still like be sociable, but not be, you know, I mean, you're still social distancing, especially on a, on a golf course. There's no sharing of clubs or sharing yeah. of carts and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my game is, uh, I'm, I'm not good. Uh, I will <laughs> say that, um, but I do like to get out there. Uh, you know, I, I'm fun to golf with, uh, I will, I will win the partying side of it. We, you know, a, a pop a hole or something along those lines. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's good to see on the day off, Desmond Rare posted a picture on Instagram. It was, it was Jake Sopko, now, you know, a, a graduate assistant with the Bearcats. Him, Bruno LaBelle, Ben Bryant, Sopko, Ritter, all out on the link. So the team is still playing, still together. Good to see Ben Bryant back out, yeah. things of that sort. So, it's, it's good to see that there's connection. They're, they're trying to stay relaxed. They aren't, you know, focusing too hard. There's the, the outbreak has been controlled from all accounts. So now it's time to move forward 
and at SMU is going to be a, a whale of a game, 9 p.m. College game day, if they, they were in their right minds, would have, would be heading to Dallas this weekend. But no, instead they, they're going to be with the Big Ten, two, two teams higher ranked. Big shocker there, Aaron, but it is what it is. Let's 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 dive into the AAC games a little bit because this weekend was fantastic. There were some great games up and down in the AAC. We've already kind of touched on that UCF game. I want to dive into that a little bit more here at View because I think that might have been maybe the game of the year up to this point. But let's start with on Friday. You saw two good games, that SMU-Tulane game. Obviously, it took overtime for SMU to pull out that victory, 37-34. Shane Bouchelle continues to have a fantastic season, yep. 384, two touchdowns through the air. But, I mean, you're, you're looking at this game, and I kind of had a feeling SMU was going to run away with it because Tulane scored early, but then SMU kind of looked like they were moving the football really easily. But it, it just speaks to the depth that this conference has. I, Tulane gave SMU all they could handle and more. Yeah, it was uh, it was a close game, obviously, going into overtime. Um, again, you know, <laughs> around this conference, I'll tell you, there's, there's certainly some good quarterback play. And I yeah. think that was showcased this weekend. Having yeah. the two Friday games for the conference, I think, was nothing but a good thing. Um, you know, a, a guy that no one's talking about a whole lot right now outside of – SMU really is uh, the freshman Ulysses Bentley, the fourth. Um, he continues to pile on good game after good game. Today, or this, this weekend, he had 25 carries, 94 yards, and a touchdown. Um, one of the things that Michelle did really well, he had three receivers over 100 yards. So yeah. sophomore Rashi Rice, 130, 139 yards, seven receptions. Junior Danny Gray, 133 yards, five receptions. Senior Tyler Page, 101 yards, four receptions. Uh, it's all good things, but it did take a late interception in overtime uh, by one sophomore, Brandon Crossley, before uh, the, the senior kicker for SMU, Chris Nagar, uh, hit his third field goal. He did miss two other field goals, though, in the game. That all said, it's – I mean, Tulane, yes, they, they did give them all they had, but even all they had, it really didn't amount to a whole lot of offense. Right. It just was a lot of back and forth. I mean, first, second, third quarter, fourth quarter even, it was 10-7 each team <laughs> just in different periods. So, like, right. first quarter, 10-7, second quarter, 7-10, so on and so forth until they did get that late kick. So – it's it's good to see some Friday night light football, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I I think SMU and and Shane Buchel, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough matchup. Yeah, and you know Buchel passing it around a lot, even without wide receiver Reggie Roberson Jr., who a lot of people in the country said he's one of the more electric players in college football. Really sad to see him go down with that injury. He's out for the season. Won't be playing, obviously, this upcoming Saturday. But they still have a lot of weapons, and that, that was pretty obvious in that game. And then the night cap on Friday, back-to-back Friday night lights. That was just fantastic. Houston looked like they were going to possibly come away with the biggest non-conference victory for the AAC. Through three quarters, they looked like the better team. They were They, they were up. Feeling strong, but then BYU goes 22 unanswered in the fourth, and they win 43 to 26. Cougars fall to one and one. Yeah, even going back into the third quarter, 
Um, in the last 16 minutes of play, BYU scored four touchdowns. Yeah. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, the quarterback for BYU, just kind of went off. Again, it's just nice to see some really good quarterback play, something that I, we haven't gotten to see a whole lot of in Cincinnati here this year thus far. Um, Wilson ended up 25 at 35, 400 yards, four touchdowns, another 40 on the ground. Um, they, I mean, <laughs> BYU's wide receiver Dax Milne had 184 yards on nine receptions, three scores you don't really see a whole lot of stat lines like that in college football. Um, So I don't know, BYU, you know, Houston, I I know I said, take the over on Houston um, last week and I was, I was way wrong. Um, BYU (laughs) did what they had to do, but again, you know, Houston puts up 26 on a 14 ranked team and I, I still don't take Houston lightly and I'm not looking forward to that match you know, I'm still a little nervous about us being able to keep up with some of these high-scoring teams. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned quarterback play. Clayton Toon, a, a, a recruit that, that Houston fans were really happy about, excited about, obviously when Derrick King left, transferred to Miami. Toon is really starting to put things together, 300 yards, two touchdowns. they got they got some good running backs. Kyle Porter, we probably remember him from last season. So, all of a sudden, Houston's looking like it's going to be a tough game later on in the year. And then we head then into Saturday play. Uh, we'll just touch on these two games briefly. It was the Temple-South Florida game. South Florida looked like it was maybe going to pick up its first in-conference win. They have struggled throughout the season. Temple, though, they, they score what? A, a scoop and score, defensive touchdown. Yep. Then all of a sudden they drive the length of the field for another touchdown that, that was the decider. South Florida tries to come back. Scores a touchdown at the end, but fails a two-point conversion. Still, Temple looks like down the road, they've always been somewhat of a problem for the Bearcats, especially look at two seasons ago at Temple. Kind of what did you see from that game, Aaron? We're going to see Temple in week 13, but, you know, going back to this weekend, you did see USF. They finally seem to have found their quarterback in Jordan McLeod. He ended up going 15 to 26 for 102 yard, 182 yards and three scores. But then the big problem that USF ran into is they had four fumbles in this game. They yeah. did lose three of them. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, Temple, Anthony Russo continues to have a pretty good season himself at quarterback there yeah. for Temple. Uh, he went 30 of 42, 270, four scores, two picks. But, uh, you know, a lot of turnovers in this game. Now we go back to Navy ECU. We kind of already touched on it with, uh, without Ehlers in the game. I, the Pirates kind of didn't have, really have anyone to, to write the ship for them, if you will. A little, little play on words there. <laughs> uh, but Mason Garcia, the true freshman quarterback, comes in. Kind of looked like he was just focused on the run every single time. He had more rushing attempts, 15, than he did passing completions, 10. Uh, you know, it, it was another back-and-forth game. ECU scores 10 points in the fourth quarter, tries to come come away with a win late, but Navy picks up the victory 27-23. ECU, obviously, a little different with, with the different quarterback in there, but there'll be another interesting game coming up. But that all leads us into the big one, Aaron. And, and I'm going to stand on the pedestal well, and say that was a b- – b- Before you get to that, I did want to bring – I did want to bring up, um, you know, I don't want to have a whole lot to say about Navy. They're not on our schedule this year, so right. I don't want to, I'm not even going to worry about bringing them up right now. But another freshman to watch out for, I know you bring up Mason Garcia, but 
but the freshman running back from ECU, Rajay Harris, yep. had 22 carries, 172 yards, uh, one touchdown, which did it ended up being an 80-yard rush for him. Um, he did have two lost fumbles, but you know between Mason Garcia being the freshman there and then Rajay Harris being the freshman there as well, ECU might actually be putting something together here as long as they don't transfer out at some point. And then, of course, you know, some great wide receivers there at ECU. Talked about C.J. Johnson, a couple of other good good players, obviously, last last year, if you watched that game at all. It was a uh, thriller for the Bearcats, but they looked a little different with the with the backup quarterback in. And, and of course, that gives a chance for Rajay Harris to shine. Now, that Central Florida-Memphis game, man, I, yep. I tell you what, that is you turn on – NCAA football 2014, you have your wide receivers, 99 overalls, quarterbacks with a lot of speed and a rocket launcher arm, and you come away with a 50-49 to 49 game, both quarterbacks well over 450 yards, Dylan Gabriel with 600 yards, six passing touchdowns for, for Brady White. This, this is a game where you sit back and you say, okay, the Bearcats have an elite defense. Mm-hmm. Is an elite defense going to be able to stop these two offenses? I mean, you know, you bring up Dylan Gabriel and his 600 yards, five scores. That's not even mentioning his 49 on the ground and another score there. 798 yards of offense for UCF. That's – you said earlier in this, in this podcast – We've had, what, 1,200 yards total for the year? Yep, right there, 1,200. They had 800 in a game. <laughs> I'm going to chime in. Hi, Dad. Because yes. I've got something interesting to add, I think, to, to this conversation. Right. 94 plays. Yes. And, and the, game took, the game took, what, five hours as well? I mean, plays. that's what happens when you throw the football. Of course, but I'm like neutralizing them isn't as much about, yeah, you know, the yards and the, the, the video game numbers because they're going to have video game numbers when they get to 94 plays. They almost run 100 plays yeah. in the game. You know, I mean, that's right. Look, no one wanted to play defense. Yeah, well, they're over, they're over eight yards a play, uh, which is efficient. It's impressive, but getting them off the field is, is where it starts. And if you get them off the field, they're not going to be able to get to 94 plays. I mean, that's, I think that's really where this conversation, because if they look, if they get to 94 plays, they're going to put up a crap ton of yards. Yeah. And points. And points. Um, So, I mean, that's, I think that's the big difference with, playing an elite defense, a good defense, is that you're not going to get to those 94 plays. Like, you're they'll, – right. they'll run a bunch of plays, don't get me wrong, but if you can keep them in the 80, 80, you know, somewhere under 85 and, and maybe even, you know, closer to 80, you change the, the, the whole uh, plan of what they want to accomplish. Um, so I just think, like – Neither of those teams, they, they kind of settled in in that second half and just said, all right, you know, Chuck yeah. and Duck, we're going at each other. Like, let, let's see who ends up uh, putting the last points on the board. Um, but I just wanted to introduce that into the conversation that yeah. 
Well, hey, look, and, if UC I mean, gives them 94 plays, they're going to get their ass kicked. Like, it, there's no, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's reality. Well, and I was, I was curious, just uh, kind of the flip side of that coin. I, I was looking up uh, Louisville-Notre Dame, final score of 7-12. to 12, And Louisville only had 45, I believe, quick math, uh, 45 total offensive plays. And Notre Dame ended up with 68, I believe. So, I don't know. I mean, I see, I see where he's going with that because, you know, that's how you end up with the score of 7-12 to 12, yeah. as opposed to 94 plays. For, for me, it's just really negating the big plays. Yes, they're, that, that is a boatload of plays. But when both teams were really in a rhythm in that second half, that's when you see the big, you know, 15-yard gains, the 30-yard the gains, the 80-yard gains. You know, it's negating those big plays, which is what Cincinnati was able to do, in the, especially in the third quarter last year in that game against UCF. You saw them as well against against Memphis and the two losses. But, you know, it's really just trying to take away those big play opportunities that both teams are really able to put up. And I think with Cincinnati's plan of attack against Central Florida last year, obviously, with the bend but don't break type approach, get them into the red zone, shorten the field, and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're putting more bodies out there to go up against the wide receivers. Yes, those are a lot of plays. But when you are efficiently moving the football and things are clicking, you're in a flow, it is extremely difficult to take these two quarterbacks off their game. Extremely yeah, difficult. And, you know, I've talked at length on, on this podcast this season already about Dylan Gabriel. Um, he's, he's the real deal. Don't get me wrong. Like, would I love to see Desmond Ritter throw for 601 yards? Sure. <laughs> is Desmond Ritter capable of throwing for 601 yards in a game? I don't believe so. And, you know, that's not to say that we can't, in a game, get 600 yards of offense. I just don't think this offense is there right now. But I don't think it would ever all come through the air the way that Dylan Gabriel did. Yeah. Same with – I mean, you can make the same thing comparing Des to to Brady White. 486 yards is still way more through the air than I'd ever expect to see out of Desmond. Yeah. I I think someone put Dylan Gabriel at 601 yards. I think total on the season Des has – under 600, I believe. So, yes, it's going to be interesting when these teams play each other. Yeah, Des has 597 on the season, and Dylan Gabriel at 601 in this game. But it's going to be interesting when Cincinnati does face these two teams because, obviously, they're, they're coming up, and they're coming up quick. I, I mean, this schedule just looks incredibly difficult yeah. after after way some of these teams have played. But you're still looking at – Tulsa, a little bit more defensive-minded, a little bit more game control on offense, going up against Central Florida, they were able to kind of control the game. They were able to, to instill their defense on it last week and, and – sorry, pardon me, two weeks ago. And that's when you kind of get these teams flustered, and that's when these teams have been very susceptible to making mistakes, whether it be with, you know, not really too many turnovers in this game, but with penalty flags and, right. and deflating – deflating plays that kind of slow down that momentum. So if you're able to frustrate them early, then I think it's kind of opened up for the rest of the game. Yeah. Penalty flags have been the Achilles heel of UCF pretty much all year. Um, So I don't, I'm, I'm with you. You know, it's going to take getting into the quarterback's head to where he doesn't believe that he can go for 300, 400, 
600 yards <laughs> against Cincinnati. It's incredible. It's incredible. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the around college football a little bit. Not really too much other than, you know, obviously we, we already touched on that Bama-Georgia game a little bit. Bama came away with that victory. Clemson, obviously, all over Georgia Tech. How about that? 73-7. to seven. I think a defensive tackle scored a touchdown there. Punter was in at quarterback at the end of the game. That, that Notre Dame game. Well, while you're on that game with Clemson, that's, yeah. what I, that's what I've been talking about all season, though, is when you see a team beat somebody 73-7, to seven, that's something that I don't have confidence in Cincinnati doing to anyone right now. <laughs> right, right. You know, and that's the difference between knowing that you're a top 10 team and wondering how to stay in the top 10 conversation. Yeah, and this is the Georgia Georgia Tech team that beat Florida State. Florida State beat North Carolina. So I mean, it's it's a you know transitive property. Look it up. I I don't know somewhere. I there. get it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Notre Dame looked bad. They flat out looked bad, and I don't know how much this has to really tie into the whole rust, possibly. From their, their off week two weeks ago when they were supposed to play Wake Forest, obviously complications with quote-unquote 2020. Yep. All of a sudden they come out, they look a little flat in the first half against Florida State. Last week, this week, they just looked bad for the entire game against Louisville. They win 12-7. I think if you're, if you're kind of trying to, to put up style points, I think Notre Dame has absolutely zero style. We're talking, uh, you know, like wearing – ugly clothing to a very fashionable <laughs> event style. Uh, very bad. But they win and they move up to number three in the country. So Notre Dame, all the name. North Carolina lost to Florida State. If you listen to me with the Bearcats best bets, I told you to take money line, Florida State. You'd be a rich man or woman. So I hope a lot of you guys did it. And I also said parlay it with Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State, pardon me, with Baylor. And Baylor didn't lose. They didn't lose. I don't know how they're doing postponements with a parlay. <laughs> they just cancel it. Completely yeah, cancel it. Throw it out the window. The worst. The worst. But so now you're looking at this this upcoming weekend. And, and Aaron, what are some games that you're kind of eyeing as far as, you know, in the AAC as well as around the country for your Bearcats best bets? Well, as we're looking in the, uh, at the American here, and, you know, you got your Tulsa-South Florida matchup, which, you know, Tulsa's been talking a lot of smack. They're favored right now, as I can see, nine and a half. Right. Yeah, you have Cincinnati at SMU. They're favored by one point. You know, we touched on that. Temple, Temple Memphis, 13 and a half points given to Memphis. UCF Tulane, 18 and a half given to UCF and 12 points given to Houston over Navy. I mean, if I had to take somebody right now, mainly because this is a Cincinnati podcast, mainly because we had some weeks off and, you know, just not really knowing what to think of some, I don't think UCF is going to put up crazy video game numbers like that again, but I've been wrong. I was wrong on pretty much everything I said last week. Um, <laughs> And I think that negates my previous couple of weeks in a row. But um, I'm, I'm saying Cincinnati at SMU, and I'm saying that proudly. Two weeks off, you know, I would think that these guys are gelling by now. 
they, they have to be on the same page. And again, if you're going to be a top 10 team, you have to put yourself into that conversation and you have to show the country as we're going to have an opportunity with the SPN two again, um, that we are for real. And, you know, it's a nine o'clock game. So it's going to be kind of in the spotlight there, even though it is on ESPN two. Um, so no, I'm, I'm all in on Cincinnati playing under the lights, even though it's at SMU, let's do it. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of in that same boat. You know, I, I wrote up the, the preview for Tulsa and it was all kind of storylines that we've, we have really beaten to a drum up to this point through the bye week. And it's going to be those same storylines. And I'm going to say here first, Aaron, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of these same storylines. I'm ready for some new topics to come out. And I think in this game, all these players for the Bearcats, I think they're also sick of the storylines that they have been hearing and seeing. I think they're ready for new storylines, new topics. And that would be a big win on the road in their first game against SMU. Watching that SMU game this past weekend, yes, they look like a good team. They look like a team that can move the football. I just think that, you know, I think the defense for Cincinnati will shine in this game. I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a good one. Obviously, stay tuned to Bearcat Journal for the whole week. We're going to be covering that game. And cross your fingers, looking like it's going to be going, but you never know with the unknown to 2020. So, uh, and then aside from that, the Big Ten is back. I'm yep. not going to touch any of those games in the Big Ten because we simply do not know. But it's going to be another chance where a slate of games, there's nothing really too crazy. No, no Georgia-Alabama no, no big games that really draw your eyes to it. You know, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, possibly. You know, you've got that Minnesota-Michigan game at the end of the day that got college game, to, which we already touched on. But that Cincinnati-SMU game is going to have a lot of eyes on it. So it's going to yeah. be huge to come out and win that game. Well, it's a lot of implications for anybody who's trying to hop into the top 25, too, because, you know, whoever loses this game is pretty much going to be knocked right out of there with the return of the Big Ten and then next week the return of the Pac-12. So we're both taking the Cincinnati. I'm just going to throw it out there. Clemson, 44-and-a-half-point favorites against Syracuse. That is a crooked number, Aaron. Well, but you'll see Syracuse lost to Liberty. And, uh, I mean, Hugh, Hugh Freeze is at Liberty. So I guess that's that's pretty cool. But I don't know. Clemson is a juggernaut. It's it's crazy looking at them. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, so I guess bet on Clemson too. Now let's roll into football recruiting. Aaron, playoffs, we mentioned it last week. Playoffs are still going in the state of Ohio. Playoffs, still going in the state of Ohio. They're starting up this weekend in Indiana. We had one player who was from the state of Indiana decommit this past weekend, this past week. Get your boys in order, man. (laughs) And then JoJo Johnson with the decommit. You you know, that one was kind of one that was – the writing was on the walls a little bit for me. He – he was a little bit too active on social media when it came to telling coaches that, you know, check out his tape, you know, telling, you know, kind of retweeting certain other colleges posts and, and getting likes from, you know, this, that, and the other, the writing was a little bit on the walls there for me with the Jojo Johnson, you know, obviously going to play, was going to play defense for Cincinnati. The offensive side of the football wanted him as well. He's a big electric player in the slot, but, Cincinnati has a lot of those players and also a really good defensive backfield. So we'll see what they're able to do covering up that loss of JoJo Johnson. I, I imagine he's probably going to be going to, to a Michigan State or somewhere in the Big Ten. Um, 
So a quick look. Brian Threats is still the ultimate threat in the state of Ohio. His quarterback actually had over 200 rushing yards in, in the big victory for Dublin Coffin this past weekend. But they're still talking. 25 carries, 192 yards and a touchdown, three receptions, 47 yards, team high for both of those. Aaron, he's playing defense at Cincinnati. But, wow, I, Brian Threats is an absolute dominant player on both sides of the ball. While he's going to be playing defense for Cincinnati, I don't think it would be completely obscene, even in some practices, you know, kind of depending on what happens, to see him get some snaps on the other side of the ball. I know they don't do that a whole lot with guys here in Cincinnati, but uh, I just wouldn't not seeing what he has done and the body of work he's put together this season. I just wouldn't be terribly surprised if at some point we see him on the other side of the ball as well. Luke Collinsworth, big time offensive tackle for East Central here in uh, in Indiana, right right across the border, uh, right over there by Campire Ground. Uh, he his team had. 1,867 rushing yards in the regular season. That's in nine games. That's behind an offensive line and against a pretty good schedule. They did lose this past weekend to Ron Colley High School. Ron Colley is, is a pretty good school, fo- great football tradition. So a loss to them is not something to be too sad about. But now playoffs are next. Collinsworth has had a great season. He is a, a pancake maker on the offensive line. I used to Jarman. With, with a win for LaSalle, uh, they play Stebbins up next. Jack Dingle had a bye week. Amarian Smith continues to, to win a bunch of games up there in Michigan, 34 nothing. a big – another shutout for the defense. Miles Montgomery had a little bit of Cincinnati flow to him this past weekend. His team had the week off due to COVID-19 in the high school. So that's it, – it affects all levels of the sport, Aaron. Uh, you look at Caleb Schmidt's one reception, 52 yards, but it was a touchdown. Uh, Leroy Bowers had an interception, nine tackles, and a loss to Elder. So Princeton's season is done. I want to talk about Brady Lichtenberg, Aaron. This this staff likes to have a quarterback in each class. Obviously, in Evan Prater last year, year before they had the. They had a couple come in. Michael Lindauer is still in the quarterback room. Cam Jones switched to tight end. But Brady Lichtenberg, his career now comes to an end. But he finishes his career as one of the most decorated quarterbacks in Toledo high school history. And now he comes to Cincinnati. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think there's enough buzz around Brady Lichtenberg. Well, I mean, you already have people calling for Des Ritter's head. (laughs) in a season that we didn't even know if we were going to have a season. You've also given Des Ritter an extra year of eligibility as everyone has gotten. Um, You've seen people on social media calling for um, Prater. You've seen people calling for Ben Bryant. Um, You know, I mean, it's just another name for, for people to start, you know, most decorated quarterback in Toledo history. That's a big deal. I mean, that's not just doing things on your feet, scrambling around, doing a lot of things in the air. When you talk about a a guy being capable of putting up 600 yards, not everybody – I mean, I'm not saying necessarily the Lichtenberg is going to be putting up 600 yards, but, you know, I mean, he is putting the ball in the air and getting things done that way. So, uh, this is a big signing for us. I mean, just another guy in the quarterback room for people to, you know, clamor for when (laughs) – 
things aren't going the way that they want them to go. Yeah, and you know, my favorite thing about about Brady Lichtenberg is that he's a leader. When you look at all of his highlights uh, in in his interviews, he is just so well spoken, such a such a good kid, great head on his shoulders, and he really just wants to win. You know, he talked about the the, the sadness that that came with the loss and how you know it's the last game with his brothers and and how he's you know he's going to miss playing with everybody. He's holding back tears while he's getting interviewed right after the game. It takes a lot for someone to finish their high school career with a loss and then all of a sudden turn around and, and face a camera and, and give a quick interview about what the past four years has have meant to him. It, you know, look at that video. It's on Twitter. I retweeted it. Dan Horde posted about it as well. Uh, you know, it's, it, he's going to be a, a player that I don't know, I, somewhat of a Des Ritter, Ben Bryant situation, you know, Evan Prater, highly decorated as well, the most highly decorated. Now all of a sudden Brady Lichtenberg comes in, he's got a great arm, scored another touchdown on the ground in this loss to Barberton, the uh, the old uh, – yeah, it's it's going to be just great to see what he can do at the next level. Then Jalen Monroe, Lafayette Jeff, they continue to go undefeated with a win there. Moeller and Landon Fickle, they lose to St. X. Their season is now done. But there's, there's still some floating games, Aaron. Some some teams, of course, because you have a shortened season with what 2020 is, some coaches are trying to add on games at the end of the season. We'll see what happens with those. I know they were talking about a St. John Jesuit for Brady Lichtenberg. Maybe he has one or two more games in his career. I don't know. That'll be a story to track. Same with Moeller. And then the Godfather moves on. Another game for Dante Corleone and Coleraine as they beat Mason. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be exciting now because now Shimon Matire gets his first game of, of the season this upcoming weekend. The star tight end, just great athlete. We're going to get a chance to see what he has in store in his first game of his senior season. Now, Aaron, you wanna, before we – yeah, Chad? You, you want to hear a, 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 an – well, it's probably only interesting to me, but an interesting Brady Lichtenberg story? Yes. Sure. His grandpa – was a, a prominent coach, coached in high school, uh, helped start up, I believe, the Mason football program. And um, I, was, I was having a back and forth exchange over email with his, with his dad. And it turns out his grandpa was an assistant coach at Moorhead State University when Phil Sims was the quarterback there. Oh, oh wow. And I realized – when that was when that was said, that my uncle was Phil Sims' roommate at Moorhead State when they were in college. So therefore, my uncle was coached by Brady Lichtenberg's grandpa wow. at Moorhead State back in, I guess, the seventies. Six degrees of Chad Brendel, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I was. I was like, do you, do you, would you maybe know him? And his dad was like, Oh no, I was way too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> How the turntables. I love that. You know, Chad, I, do you kind of get what I'm saying when it comes to Brady? I, I feel like. Well, it's, you know, he, it, it, here's, where, here's what you got right. It's, it's Des Ben recreated. Right. Because right. Evan's, Evan's the athlete. Evan's right. the, the, the kid that's most comfortable running. He has a live arm, but uh, he hasn't always been overly accurate with that arm. And then you're bringing in a kid one class behind him that has, you know, passing records in his high school and in his city and 
um, is a natural pocket passer, which I think more than anything goes to philosophy that they want to have stacking uh, an athletic quarterback on top of uh, a a pocket passer type quarterback. Right. Um, And they've, they've pretty much Lindauer kind of fit as both because he's, you know, he's a three sport athlete. He is a really good athlete, but he's, he's got a a live arm. Um, But, and then you go to Prater and then now to Lichtenberg, which seems to be more of, not that he can't run, but that he's, he's more of a thrower than a runner. Um, The, the, yeah, there's, there's, they're kind of stacking themselves for where uh, it's very possible three years from now we're having, you know, even if Evan is doing well, we're going to be having the same conversations because there's going to be a guy behind him that's, you know, God, has the kid. reputation. Yeah, as, as a kid with not only a big arm, but Brady Lichtenberg has a really accurate arm. Yes. Um, I think when you look at his numbers up there, that has been probably more impressive than. Um, stretching the field or throwing the deep ball is that he has really run that, you know, coach's son, he has really run that offense at a super efficient level. Um, and he's a guy that can hit throws short, medium, and long. So uh, never, yeah, throws, be, never throws interceptions either. Yeah. Never. yeah be, be, be ready for more people talking about quarterback at Cincinnati for uh, four or five more years to come. Because <laughs> uh, I, I do think Brady has a chance uh, to push Evan and be, and be very, very good because he right. does have a considerable arm talent. He does. He does. Um, Recruiting-wise, uh, what I will say is tomorrow could be interesting. Okay. I don't. I don't think it's going to be big news. Okay. But I think there could be a, an interesting piece of news tomorrow, okay. um, and then we'll see what happens the rest of the week. That's a. Uh, I, I, I've got my eye on the end of the week, but we'll see what happens the rest of the week. That's a. Um, that's a stay tuned little uh, tease there, Chad. You also it, forgot it to mention our uh, our new our new kicker. Yeah. You have, yes. You haven't added our new kicker here to the list. Yeah, he, um, I, I would say up. I would say the one thing important about the kicker, um, he's a kid that's already kicking off the ground. He's an Aussie. No, no, he's from Georgia. Wasn't he? I thought that he was an Aussie. No, he's a place kicker from Georgia. The new punter is from Australia. That's the there. Mason is. Fletcher, yeah. yeah, yeah, but he's yeah, not. Mason coming. Fletcher, he, he's not doing he's, anything. <laughs> no, he's over there um, training. The new kicker is a, a kid from it, – it's Justin Fields High School in Florida. Right. Um, Georgia. So – in Georgia, I mean. So that, you know, uh, a, a very a very big reputation um, kicking down there and a guy that uh, – Christian Lowry is his name. Uh, a guy that, you know, could give you some uh, – and you know, a, a boost as a place kicker in years to come. And that, that – not having to teach a kid how to – kick off the ground uh, as opposed to the little, you know, nub that they kick off in high school uh, or or kick from in high school when they're, they're place kicking. That's a big deal. You already get to see uh, what the kids leg strength and accuracy. Uh, You have a good feel for that. And look, I think we're at the point um, special teams wise, that is pretty much uh, Brian Mason's deal. Um, You don't, you know, nobody else really messes with Brian uh, on those kids. 
So if Brian has a kid that he likes uh, and, and he thinks fits, everybody else just kind of goes with it. And he, he is convinced that this kid fits. So, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a good one. Never, ever doubt the importance of a strong kicking game as Central Florida. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, that's just – and then and then you saw on the sideline after, after, after that. I mean, yeah. that's just – that tells you a little bit about behind every good story or every great stat or this, that, and the other, there, there's some underlying issues. And that team, they had 10 more penalties, that little altercation on the sidelines. That video was wild, man. Following the missed kick, I, I mean, it's just – I think there's some some things lingering amongst that Central Florida team. But, uh, you know, Aaron, I want to close out with one last thing. And, Chad, you've been very vocal about this on Twitter and on the board as well. This is the Bearcat Bounce podcast. We can talk about the cross We can talk about basketball a little bit. I'm over it. <laughs> I mean, first off, I have to get your initial reaction to the video. The John Brandon video. It, was, I mean, yeah. it served yeah. its purpose. He wanted people to know that you know they did what they needed. To, they did. They tried to do what was best right. uh, for UC. Xavier didn't want any part of it. Um, I like that he went in detail about this is what we offered. Yeah. Went into you know explaining all four scenarios that that they presented to Xavier. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I didn't have much of an issue with with how John handled that. I think it. It uh, portrayed things the way that he wanted them to be portrayed. And um, given the entire situation, the entirety of the situation, I think it was kind of necessary. Right. Uh, you know, with Xavier initiating the conversations and then not doing anything to actually uh, find an equitable solution, I think they needed to be called on the carpet a little bit for that. But what about uh, the contract? There was a contract. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're talking about the contract with Skyline Chili. That's what Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. That would not have been a big deal if Travis Steele didn't run around trying to so, – no, we, we had a contract. We had a contract. We had a contract. And doing the Zoom media tour, talking to every media outlet, you know, every news station in town. Uh, and it, it, he, had been, he had been trying to control the message for for weeks we talked about that like yeah going to john rothstein and uh going to the people in the athletic um it's a matter of like look man you if you're gonna try to do that you better have all your i's dotted and your t's crossed yeah because look here's the thing i would have actually i was you know we talked about it that first day when everything happened on thursday um I was more than willing to kind of just let it go. Mm-hmm. And then they send the inquire, the document and try to, to try to have the inquire come after me from Xavier's perspective, not knowing that I had the document as well. Right. And they didn't talk about what actually all of the, the articles of the document, they only talked about what they felt made Xavier look good. Yep. So they, they came after me for a fight and then, I say something to the Xavier guy from the Inquirer, and all he says, look, man, I'm not here to start a fight. Well, you did, right? right? Like, you did. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you didn't want to start a fight, you would have put in everything that was in there. Or you would have just done what I did, take a picture of the thing, and put it out there. 
here is what yeah. the <laughs> Memoriam of Understanding says. And they didn't do that because it didn't paint them in the right light. They, they, wanted, right. To, they wanted to pick and choose. And look, there's nobody, nobody <laughs> in this market that likes being petty on the internet more than me. Right, <laughs> right. That's what I didn't understand why people were coming after you. Like, if you present something as factual evidence, you're not going to have, you know, just made something up as factual evidence and trying to present that. Like I that, had the that, documents. Again, you don't make <laughs> fights based on factual evidence if you don't have something to back right. it up. <laughs> right, right. I, I wasn't just saying that stuff to say that stuff. And it, look, that wasn't just sourced through UC. That was <clears throat> through long day of conversation with people all over the country on, you know, how these things typically work and right. what, what, what is binding and, and what the memoriam of understanding um, really uh, meant without the game contract, the yeah. two-year game contract. And so I was, I was well-equipped and then they, they wanted to, to, to poke the bear and I, I don't, know where the you know I don't, I don't know that that served anybody any good because i'm just gonna keep going right i don't have an off button they didn't want that <laughs> tab rental smoke they didn't but they they think they, think they do until i come at you and the and then your response is look I, i'm not trying to argue i just i'm just presenting the the evidence and it's like no you presented 30 percent of the evidence Left right. the other seventy percent out and acted like it didn't exist. Nah, man. No, 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 no. Let me uh, let me be devil's advocate real quick. Okay. So, I don't think it's going to be devil's advocate because I'm probably going to agree with you. But go ahead. So some people have voiced their opinion that they did not like the video, which is because fine it, because it portrayed us caving, us meaning Cincinnati, John Brandon. They did caving and, and giving Xavier what they wanted. No, they didn't give Xavier what they wanted. They just decided to play the game. Right, right. But it had nothing this, to do with, with what Xavier wanted. It, it came down to yeah. it came down to do we play the game? Yeah. Or do we not play the game? Right. That was a Cincinnati decision. That didn't have anything to do with Xavier. And trust me, there were some people in the athletic department given the way that Xavier acted towards this thing that that thought Eh, but we're we're walking, we're out, not dealing with their crap anymore. Cooler heads prevailed. Yeah, but this had nothing to do with with Xavier winning anything because there was nothing for them to win. Right. It ultimately came down to Cincinnati tried to get an equitable solution. Xavier yeah. said no. So if you go and look at what the contracts say what the memorandum of understanding from 2014 says and what I posted the last game contract that was active from 2018, 19, because yeah. there wasn't one signed for 20 and 21, uh, right. which also I was told that I was wrong about. And don't you think it's funny that nobody accurately has produced that 2021 contract? Where's it at? It's Cause it didn't exist. It wasn't Not signed. Right. <laughs> now I'm, I'm sure there were dates that were, you know, uh tentatively agreed to right but there was nothing there was nothing signed there was nothing you know so what it came down to was cincinnati just deciding whether or not they were going to play the game and well, they decided to play the game over not playing the game 
this has well, now the Crosstown Shootout has all the zest, all the smoke back, and I love it. Aaron, I have a question for you. Yep. Out of the four options that Cincinnati offered Xavier, we're talking play the 2020 game at a neutral site, then reset the rotation in 2021 at the third. Option two, play the 2020 game at Cintas, and then 2021 at fifth third. Option three, play 2020 at neutral site, two shootouts in 2021, one at Cintas, one at fifth third. Now, that's a lot of cheese mm-hmm. coatings. That's mm-hmm. my favorite part of the video, by the way. Or option four, play the 2020 game at a neutral site, 2021 at Cintas, and then 2022, 2023 at fifth third. Which option of those four piqued your interest the most i mean in a perfect world we'd be playing two crosstown shootouts especially now seeing how it all went down and just getting the the shade thrown at us like well if cincinnati was in this boat it would have been you guys would have been doing the same thing and who's to say i don't know that you don't know that i mean brandon's been out here trying to say like we have to treat this season with empathy and we have to you know i mean He's out here yep. saying and doing all the right things even before this all came to light. So I don't know that John Brannon, if he if it was his decision to make, would have acted the same way. I don't know. I I tend to think he may not have, to be quite honest. But regardless, you know, we, we'll we'll never really know. Not you know, not having the shoe on the other foot. However, my favorite option is that third option where neutral site right now until the world gets back under control. And until, you know, make it fair and equitable for everybody. Why would you, oh, well, in Cincinnati where you were the home team, you should have to eat this year. Like, right. oh, man, come on. Like, I don't know. I mean, this thing is, is a historical thing. It's got yeah. a lot of, um, you know, built up rivalry and all of that. And this just, just kind of seems like just a real, I don't know, it, it rubbed me the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen – two crosstown shootouts in a year. It would have just made 2021 feel better. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, in the end, I loved the video. I thought it was a chance for John Brandon to kind of show his his personality a little bit, mm-hmm. if you will. You know, obviously, Mick Cronin has a big personality. The media jumped on him. They, they love Mick Cronin for better or for worse. John Brandon – kind of really getting his name out there. And this video did a really good job of doing that. And I am with you. I would definitely love two crosstown shootouts in the same season. The city would be electric for two straight weekends or weekdays, whatever it might be. And as John said, that would be a lot of cheese conies. And that was just a really, really well put together video. And it was good to see another video by the Cincinnati account talking about Mikey Saunders Excited to see more reports come out about practice. I know that. He likes ducks. What? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's beautiful. Ducks. It's fine. He's, he's great. But, no, I, it's, it's going to be exciting to see this team continue to develop more. I think that, think that it's, a, it's a very underrated team as, uh, as you kind of – as you and I and other people at Bearcat Journal and, and in the media have a closer on-hands view knowing the team – from the outside looking in, yeah, you lose Jaron Cumberland, Trey, Trey Scott. Okay. That, those are two big losses off of a, a fringe tournament team, a bubble team. Sure. But the pieces they added, everything like that, we're going to dive more into it as the weeks come up. A very underrated team in my eyes. Obviously completely biased. 
But this is going to be an exciting team, and I love the video that John Brandon put out there. His personality on full display for Cincinnati fans and national media to take and run with now. Yeah, it was cool to see uh, Brandon and uh, Barstool even saying, like, we're here for coaches <laughs> making <Yeah>. videos, <laughs> trash-talking other coaches. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, Chris Mack, obviously, to the two friends. I, I do wonder if, if John reached out to Chris and was like, hey – you know, I'm thinking about doing a similar video. What do you think? And kind of kind of went along the same lines. But, yeah, you know, I thought it was a really good job, obviously, poking fun at the Final Four, poking fun at lack of football, poking fun at a couple of other things. Uh, just a really great video, and it really added some fire back into the to the cross-town shootout, uh, one that, however many people might say it, it does have a lot of pe- – people nationally know about it. It's, it's not – it's definitely just a Cincinnati thing, but – you know, I have been outside of Cincinnati for a long time, and people still know about it. People mainly the brawl is a big part of it, which is yeah. fine. But it, it's a game that obviously now has a lot more talk about it, and they're going to be bringing it up for uh, for many times to come. But you know, Aaron, anything to close out before we wrap this one up? No, I mean we uh, we got we got some tough weeks coming up here. Uh, the gauntlet should have already started, but right. here we are getting ready to start the gauntlet all over again, and we just kind of move first to last. Let's get this thing going, and let's see what this offense has, man. Yeah, it's going to be – you know, we, we said it last week leading into the Tulsa game where we're going to know a lot more about the team after the Tulsa game. Mm-hmm. Now this is this is truly the ultimate barometer. This Playoffs, playoffs start tomorrow – or this, this next weekend. Yeah, so. yeah. On Saturday, it, it's the start of – I, must wins, if you will. If, if if this team wants to reach the heights that they have set for themselves, then this is a must win. It's it's going to be a, a difficult game, but it's going to be a fun game to watch, fun game to cover. Uh, I am looking forward to it Saturday night. Little uh, little fun time, but uh, you know, Dad, anything anything else you want to add before we shut this one down? No, I'm good. Well, well, Did happy belated birthday to you, Dad. I hope. Uh, Hope the steak went down rather fine last night. A little bit of pops, Look, pops, pops, pops on here, pops. Here's a great, great lunch with pops. Here's here's the recommendation, the food recommendation I'll give you for today. Ready, ready. If you have an air fryer, okay. okay. Air fryers are kind of the new thing. Everybody has air fryers now. They love them. If you have an air fryer, start doing your baked potatoes in the air fryer. Ooh. Really? Yeah. What does it do to it? It, so, you know when, like, you, you, you get a baked potato and you're trying to get your fork all the way to the edge of the baked potato to get all that goodness inside? Yep. And because it's been cooked in aluminum in an oven, uh, the skin kind of sticks to it. You can't really get that skin right. away from the, the end edge of the baked potato. Yep. Because, because you cook it in the air fryer, the skin gets crispy. Ooh. And that potato on the inside just pulls away, so you get the actual whole baked potato. Yo, yo, it's it's look, <laughs> the simple things in life is what I'm all about, and getting all of my baked potato in a baked potato is pretty important. And this is the second time I've done it now. You do it for like 50 minutes. You flip the baked potato halfway through the the, the 50 minutes, so 25 minutes. Spray it with cooking spray. Uh, before and then at the flip, a little salt, a little pepper on there, Boom. and it's it's a it's a fantastic baked potato. Not good as good as the take time. 
good not as good that. as well i mean if you're putting it in the oven it takes an hour an hour 15 minutes anyway for a baked potato right so it's it's the same the same concept the same right. but you get a better quality baked potato and then i you know i went to finley market so i hit one of the uh the vendors got some sweet corn uh sweet corn on the cob Indiana, which was outstanding sweet corn, baby. And then the the Wagyu ribeye I got from Eckerline Meats uh, at Finley Market was outstanding. So it was, uh, you know, uh, burn ends and lunch with my pops at, yes. uh, at at Velvet Smoke for lunch. And then Finley Market did the uh, the, the home thing for dinner and uh, sat around and watched some football last night. So it was a it was a quality quarantine birthday. Yeah. Good day today outside of. You know, having to sit here with you two bozos for knuckleheads an, an hour and twenty minutes. Hey, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun, but hey, so so I was very sad. I I left Cincinnati after the Army game. Wow, that felt like years ago. But after the Army yeah. game, hoping to stop at Velvet Smoke in uh, in Harrison and closed for now. Is um, that just a for now thing? Yeah, I talked to to one of the guys there, and they said hopefully within the next two three weeks the Harrison location will be uh, will be reopening. Um, you should have asked me; I'd have told you you have to go to the White Oak location right now. Yeah, well, that's just the drive home, baby. Drive home. I mean, it happens, you know. I said White Oak skyline. is White Oak is still kind of on your way home, kind right. of. Yeah. A little we'll bit out of out. the way, but a we'll uh, couple weeks, maybe maybe. Um, one of these three straight home games, by the time we get through that, the uh, the Harrison location will reopen. Boom. Music well, to my ears. Aaron, you got to try it. It's phenomenal. Hopefully, hopefully this week was better than a clown show. <laughs> a little bit better than a clown show. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I guess we'll have to end That's, on that note. The recruiting part's the only good thing you guys do. The rest is, the rest is total <laughs> shit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Start All in. I'll end on that one. Sorry, Dan. Well, Aaron, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, another great show. Another great time. Excited for what this week has in store. Football, basketball. Yes, sir. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, for uh, Aaron Smith, make sure to check out his work on BCJ. We'll be getting the previews to you and the written version of The Bounce as well. For Chad Brendel, Aaron Smith, I am Brett Young. Thanks again for listening to the Bearcat Bounce podcast here on Bearcat Journal. Have a fantastic week.